The Start On Demand. demand. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, can I start with an amusing voicemail? Do you approve, Greg Mackling? (laughs) I heard this in the middle of the night. I approve. And Loren, are you okay if I just fire this off? I think it's what I said to you. I'm going to guess, no? (laughs) It is indeed. It's from the CJOB Jets cheer line, (laughs) and that number once again is 204-780-6800. I'll just play this. This is Glow-Defrated-Eating Leafson. Go, Hams, go! Okay, what is he saying there? I'm pretty okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's saying this is Claude, the French Canadian Leafs fan. Yes. Go, Habs, go! I'm just gonna play yes. it again. Yeah. This is Claude, the French Canadian Leafs fan. Go, Habs, go! Oh, yes, that's it. We are playing the Canadians starting tomorrow night, Greg. And I'm trying to figure out how I feel about this. Mostly I'm just feeling let's get on with this. Let's start round two. We've been waiting for this for days. And so I think lots of people thought we'd end up facing the Leafs. I think Leafs fans thought they were coming our way. But man, they sure know how to let a good thing go. Uh, here's uh, one of the headlines at Sportsnet. What changes do Maple Leafs make after worst collapse yet? So that's one of the storylines. Not nearly as interesting for us here in Winnipeg, although it was a little bit of fun, poking uh, a little bit of fun at Maple Leaf fans last night. I did resist the urge, Brett, to send a text message to our old friend Matt Cardi (laughs) in Southern Ontario. (laughs) We have been betting on the Jets and Leafs for four or five years now, and I... Didn't want to poke that bear while it was sleeping, crying, or otherwise <laughs> devastated. So I just I left did. it alone. Oh, did you send him a text oh, last yeah. night? Yeah, oh, I, good for you. I sent him a text. <laughs> and we have we have this ongoing thing where uh, he started this. Where our ongoing thing is, we find creative ways to tell each other GFY. And uh, so I sent him a text last night saying, hi, Matt, how you doing? And I immediately followed it up with, I'm just kidding, GFY and uh, the Leafs. So, uh, yeah, so <laughs> you're, you're a nicer man than I am, apparently, because I, I couldn't resist. I had to do it. I, I know how it feels. And uh, just, you know, I, I do have a compassionate uh, side to me. But now the Montreal Canadiens, and they, they scare me. I said weeks and weeks ago that perhaps the easier path for the Jets might be to face the Leafs in the first round versus playing Edmonton or Montreal and then have the chips fall where they may. Now we face Montreal in the in the second round. They're fast team. They have Carey Price. Uh, they've got a young team for the most part, although they've got some, some grizzled veterans, including uh, Corey Perry, who scored a big goal last night for the Habs. And the conversation that we've been having this morning on our internal chat via text is one I think that's going to be played out over the next 24 hours or so for people. Who do I cheer for? Because a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans in Winnipeg, they're Canadians and Jets fans, but when the Habs come to Winnipeg, they wear their Canadians jerseys to Bell Mm -hmm. MTS Place. And for a lot of them, it's like, ah, oh, we don't have to worry. I can cheer for both teams. They'll only ever meet in the It'll Stanley Cup happen. final. In which case, we'll <laughs> all be happy. What's the bit? Oh, no. Pandemic, <laughs> as Brett McGarry might say. 
And now here we are, the Jets and the Canadians playing in the second round. My family on my mom's side, all from Montreal, huge Canadians fans. My great grandma used to have Canadians season tickets back in the day at the old Montreal Forum. All my cousins are huge Jets and Canadians fans, but it's Canadians first. So lots of people. You cheer who for who mom tells you to. That's the rule in this house. And I finally said to the kids last night after that Leafs lost, my youngest no longer has a team to cheer for. I said, please, can we now all agree, put your hands in for the Winnipeg Jets. And And? he asked what I was going to pay him. And that's where that's been left at. So... So we've got uh, Hextall and hockey coming up at 655 uh, as part of our daily Jets update. And again, second round starts tomorrow, Winnipeg versus Montreal. Also today, we're going to be talking a lot about what it's like to be single during a pandemic. Uh, We're going to speak to a relationship expert at 745. How does one meet people? But we're also going to ask the question... At 6.45, what's uh, your favorite thing to do alone? Obvious jokes aside, you can text us at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza because a lot of us have had to do things, have had no choice but to do things alone. And uh, sometimes people are sort of scared by that. Like, I don't know, Greg, if you've ever gone to a movie alone, but a lot of people would rather cut off their thumb than go to a movie alone. And I... I remember the first time I went to do it, I thought, this is weird. And I was anxious. I thought people would be looking at me. And then I got there and realized no one cares. And this, it was actually super relaxing. Yes. In fact, <laughs> the last time I went to a movie by myself, uh, my plan was to have a nap. It was one of those days my kids were doing a mini university camp or something in the summer. And we were still at Polo Park. And the idea of coming all the way home to North Kildonan for a nap just didn't make any sense to me with the time involved. So I know what I'll do. I'll go to one of those movie theaters, the VIP theater with the recliner in it, and I'll go have a nap. Well, I ended up enjoying the movie instead. And so, uh, yeah, that my plan failed uh, miserably, but I had yeah, doing stuff by myself. That, that's I've been going. I was telling Jackie just the other day about uh, going to Jets games by myself when I was a kid. Bomber season tickets. My first season ticket, a single ticket. All by myself. Row one, seat one, section G. Wow. It depends, I think, though, where you're at. Like, that's super cool that you did that when you were younger, and you'd probably do it again, Greg, because you're such a fan, too, that you just want to see the game. But if you're in the situation where you have no choice, it feels very differently. Like, I've lived at different countries around the world where you move over there, and for a long period, you don't know anybody. Same with anybody who just moves around the country or moves around the province, and you start something new. And so when you don't know anybody and you want to get out and do things, being alone, I think, is yes. hard, which which I wonder if that's how people feel in this pandemic, Brett. You don't have a choice right now. Yes, you might choose to go to a movie by yourself, go for a drink by yourself, go golfing by yourself even. But now that you have not no, any choice but to do that, it's hard to be alone. Mackling McGarry McNabb, thanks to all who texted us to point out that we were having some issues with our signal. If that continues... Let us know at 204-780-6868. Your choosing AstraZeneca as the first vaccine that was available to you was and still is the right decision. 
Dr. Joss Reimer with Manitoba's Vaccine Task Force sharing those words after announcing anyone who received the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine for their first dose can now get either the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine for their second shot. That's right. So those who got the AstraZeneca vaccine can get any mRNA vaccine provided they meet provincial eligibility criteria, including that they got their first shot a minimum of 28 days previously, Loren. And I think this is the news many of us thought would come this way because, you know, they were talking about different studies they were reviewing and what they were looking at in other jurisdictions and how mixing and matching worked. And, you know, there was an expert on with Richard and Julie yesterday or a doctor, sorry, out of Ontario that I heard say, you know, listen, it's really about just the vaccine finds it's an ability to match for what isn't there. So it really does a good job of mixing and matching so far that we know uh, to make sure that it's supplementing what might not have been in the other one versus the the what the one the one you're taking. And so there should be no concern with this. I've personally got no concern for this, Greg. I'm ready for it. Um, Brett, you went and got your second dose of AstraZeneca <laughs> on the weekend. So I, I know you were feeling a bit of, oh, that came quicker. Yeah. Um, for me, the only thing I'm hoping for is that we still work to find a way to ramp this up. Because if you're booking now, if you're eligible now uh, for that April 3rd date, I think it is, to book for your second dose, you're still weeks out. And so... This news is great, but I still don't, I don't want to be three weeks away from getting that second dose. So you at least now have your second dose. Had you waited 48 hours, you might have had a different second dose. Yeah, and I think, well, the main reason why I got it is it sort of wiped out the uncertainty. Uh, So had I known Saturday that on Monday that uncertainty would be taken away, maybe I would have made a different choice, but it would have ended up with the same result that it probably would take me into July before I'd be able to get that second shot. Uh, The one concern I have is is based on some of the initial research I've looked at, the AstraZeneca vaccine does not appear to be all that effective against the B1351 variant. That's the South. African variant, but the numbers on that are are pretty low in Manitoba. But if they start to rise, then that'll be a bit more concerned. But I'm assuming there's going to be a likelihood of some sort of a booster shot down the road. So I think I'm mostly good with my choice, Greg. Yeah, I'm looking at the AstraZeneca shot that I got is the chips and salsa and the Pfizer, (laughs) the Moderna. What's that? The Appy. It was your appetizer. That's right. (laughs) Because, you know, you mentioned booster and uh, the chance of us not needing a booster, I think, are are at least uh, 50-50. So, you know, I've had the protection from the AstraZeneca for the last couple of weeks now. And so then I'll go for Pfizer Moderna with the full expectation that I'll have to go and get another shot of that anyway. So, you know, if you went out and you got the AstraZeneca, you did it all for the right reasons. I think it might disappear altogether as an option anywhere. So maybe we're just kind of starting from scratch. Did you ever think, Brett? One shot of the AZ. Sorry, Greg. Did you ever think, Brett, you'd be this type <laughs> talking about the efficacy of the B one seven one six nine? No. Like you just rolled that. That just rolled right off your tongue <laughs> a know. year ago. There's no way. <laughs> I've been doing some some reading and yeah. A year, yeah, a year ago we were like, what do we call this thing? How do we say the COVID? COVID, like Our Lady Peace. Even efficacy, (laughs) as if that was a word we all use this often. (laughs) For the next two minutes, we want to have a chat. Uh, Well, I'll just use this clip to set it up. And those are the choices you got in life, man. You could be married and bored or single and lonely. (laughs) 
ain't no happiness nowhere. <laughs> Chris Rock. Now, obviously, that's not entirely true, but that is part of a hilarious routine he did, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years ago. Look it up. It's on YouTube. But, yeah, we want to talk to anyone who is living alone or anyone who is single in this pandemic. We're going to spend a lot of time discussing that today, Loren. Uh, how did this come about, by the way? How did this land on uh, our overlord's radar? You. It came about about you. I was talking to some of our producers and bosses last week. You had made the comment after watching the Friends reunion that, you know, it harkened back to a time for Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox and all them about when your friends were your family. And you made this really eloquent point that, well, right now for many people, friends are still the family, regardless of whether you're in your 20s or 30s or a teenager or family. Friends for so many people really become your family. And in this pandemic, you're not living with them. You can't see them. You can't do things as normal. And so how, not just with the dating, but how are you getting on as a, a living alone, single person in this pandemic? And that's a good chunk of the population, Brett. I think the last thing I read was 15 to 20 percent of Manitobans might live alone. Yeah, and it's uh, it, uh, for the most part, I've been okay. The first two months of the pandemic were rough, uh, partly just because it was such a scary time, an uncertain time, and I've kind of gotten used to being a recluse. Uh, and I was happy that we at least had golf, but now that golf has been taken away in terms of being able to play with somebody outside of my household, that really sucks. And especially when I consider, like, last year, I was depressed last year, but before the pandemic started, the pandemic certainly didn't help but I at least had golf, and um, because of the pandemic, one of my buddies, he was laid off, so he suddenly had, was available to golf at will, and I ended up playing with him three, four times a week, and then I made a couple of new friends uh, through just golfing at Kingswood, and uh, that being able to do that pulled me out of my depression. So to now have lost that, I hope I hope to God it does not last that long uh, because if I have to look at, you know, going an entire month or going into July with this household only rule, uh, that's going to suck. That's going to take a, that's going to hurt my mental wellness, GMAC. Yeah. And you know, we can joke all we want. I'd like to bug you a little bit when, when, when you start uh, quote unquote complaining about this, it's like, yeah, I'm stuck in the house with the same three people and same two dogs. Do you want to trade? And I, I wouldn't trade with you because I, I'm fortunate to have, you know, different people to talk to and interactions and that sort of thing. So I really feel for anybody who's going through this right now. I talked to my Baba who's on her own right now and is so used to, she's so vital. She plays in an orchestra. She's a volunteer. She does all sorts of thing under, things under normal circumstances. And those are the things that keep her young. So I'm thinking about the the, the, the older population, people who like just thrive on interaction with their peer groups and to, to be in service to the community. Like it, it's got to be really hard for anybody who has to be alone right now. So I'm feeling for you right now, man. And uh, hopefully this is this is over this part of it sooner than later. That's really all we can hope for at this point. And, and talk about it. I think that's a big thing too. Since we're talking about singles, people who live alone, we're going to spend the next few minutes asking you at 204-780-6868 to text us, what is your favorite thing that you like to do alone? And yes, I know there are some obvious jokes that can pop up, but text us at 204-780-6868, chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia pizza. Let's go around the horn here. Jeff Braun, co-host of The Couch Potatoes. Let's start with you, sir. 
Well, speaking of noodles, Brett, I'm going to say eating pasta is something I like to do alone <laughs> because there is a better than average chance when I eat my beloved fettuccine Alfredo that I will slurp it up and smack myself in the face with the noodle. And I, I found out the hard way on a first date that that's not a kind of restaurant you want to go to is an Italian restaurant. So uh, that's what I, I can only eat it alone because I have never once walked out of an Italian restaurant without Alfredo sauce on my glasses. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's practical and smart. So yeah. good, good yeah. play, Jeff. Uh, Forte, what about you? Well, I live alone and I could tell you that this might sound a little, uh, little cheesy, but I like to clean alone. You know, I, like to, I, sp- I spent six hours on Saturday just cleaning my apartment. Like I cleaned everything, the, the top of the cabinets in the kitchen, the top of the fridge. Wow. I did all the windows and mirrors. And you know what? There's nobody else there to mess it up, which is the best part. Fair enough, fair enough. I had a buddy who used to complain. He'd clean his house, and then his his wife would come home, and um, and then she'd mess it all up, and he would whine. But he was super OCD about that kind of stuff. Uh, Cam Poitras. Uh, you know, I like to read. Uh, obviously, I mean, who else are you going to do that with? You're not going to, unless you're reading like a storybook to a kid. Uh, but like playing video games alone, I, I, you know, a lot of people that get into like the call of duties and, and playing online and the Fortnite and stuff like that. I, I never liked that kind of stuff. And I grew up with video games, obviously. So I always like to just play the single player, you know, just, just do my own thing, go through my own challenges. And I, I saw a text message here. Favorite thing to do alone was travel, spending four years in Europe, one of the textures here. And that, that was the best trip of my life when I went out to Europe for a month by myself and I did whatever I wanted to do and I went to the places that I wanted to see and I didn't have to talk to anybody or make any decisions. It was all just about what I wanted to do and uh, yeah, traveling alone was just fantastic and you met so many great people. That's cool. I, I should take a trip alone when that's actually something we can you do should. once again. You should. I don't know if I'd be able to do that. I don't you, know. You, you, you know what? You, you're going to sit in the airport. You're going to be nervous and you're going to say, what am I doing? I'm going to doing this by myself. What am I nuts? And then you're, gonna, you're just going to go and you're going to have the best time of your life. Well, I'd be afraid of like, I don't know, getting lost in a city by myself and being like, where am I? Ah, you got, How did I get here? You have a phone. There's a Wi-Fi at every coffee shop and there's McDonald's everywhere in the world. So you'll be fine. <laughs> and, and I'm you're telling you, lost. you're going to be fine. You can't really be lost when you're by yourself anyway, Jeff, because there's nobody saying, do you know where we are? You know where <laughs> That's a going? great point. <laughs> uh, Greg, what about you? I like to eat by myself, uh, especially going out to a restaurant. Like in a world where you can't even have a piece of gum without the vultures in the backseat hearing the package going, oh, I'll have some gum too. So it's a four for one special or one for four, depending on how you look at it. Every time you eat a piece of gum. Uh, going out to eat a is far less expensive when I go by myself. And this is of course in the before times and nothing like getting a newspaper, sitting down and just having a casual lunch without any distractions whatsoever. Read the newspaper, eat and just be with the news of the day and just relax. I tell you, it is, um, Almost like the Fortress of Solitude when you get a chance to do that. Loren. The combo, the same thing. We Cam briefly alluded to reading. Of course, you read alone. But reading alone and reading in a house full of people or in a car full of people aren't the same thing. Like You can't just get into the book. So reading on a patio with a glass of wine or a drink or whatever and sitting there for a couple hours and people watching and sightseeing with no interruptions is awesome. I, I'll go up to the hammock to read sometimes. 
and God bless the kids. I love them, but they'll come out to me. I'm like, you walked all the way out to the yard to the hammock to ask me a question about a granola bar when you, you could have just figured that out. I just don't know why you're out here. Okay. Mom's reading and I don't like to be interrupted. So yeah, reading alone. I, I can't read. I, I can't with TV, any sort of stimulus. I can't read. I, I, I just focus on that. I have to be like by myself alone in the quiet. 204-780-6868. Tell us a story about the things you like to do alone for your chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia pizza. In the quiet. In the quiet. I don't even know what that means. You'll learn. You'll learn one day. I got to get more in the quiet. <laughs> we need to, the Cam needs a quiet place. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. The question that went up yesterday afternoon, are you or would you be fine with getting a different vaccine for your second dose? 14% said, yes, it's all good. 28% say, I'd rather stick with the same one, but I'll do what I need to. And 58% say, no. We have updated the question of the day at cjob.com. We'll tell you a little bit more about that later on. Breakfast with the Bombers, by the way, coming up at 7.37. GMAC, who are we talking to? Willie Jefferson is going to join us from Texas. He has his vaccination. He's proud of it. He's going to share with us why he thinks it's important to share the message that he got vaccinated and how badly he wants to be back in Winnipeg. How's this sound? 27 today. 30 tomorrow, 32 for Thursday, 35. Do I hear 35 for Friday, Greg? I'm wondering why I took my swimming pool out of my backyard. That's what I'm wondering. Uh, June is kicking off with a real warm spell, but we know that um, the sun and the heat isn't great news for all of you. David Phillips is the senior climatologist with Environment Canada and joins us now. Good morning, Mr. Phillips. How are you this morning? I'm very well, guys. Nice to be with you always. Well, we appreciate your time and uh, and the wisdom you bring to our program. Uh, June, first, second, third, fourth, temperatures oh, in the 30s or hovering around the 30s. Is it just me or is this pretty unusual for Manitoba? You know, it is unusual. Um, I mean, these are temperatures that are, you know, up to a dozen degrees or more warmer than you normally expect. You know, that Friday temperature of 35 degrees. My gosh, it's it's not a record, but it's close to it. I mean, you have to go back 1988 was 35.6 on that day. So we're we're talking about, you know, the really uh, elevated uh, temperatures, uh, much warmer than they would normally be. The normal high would be 22, and you're talking about 35. And this is certainly earlier than it was last year, and it's probably the longest string of temperatures above 30 that uh, we certainly didn't see that last year. In fact, all of last summer, we never got to 35 in winter. Peg. So uh, this is uh, this is very early, and uh, and guys, you know, it may very well be the dress rehearsal of the kind of summer uh, we're we're seeing ahead. I I looked at the models this morning. We're just you guys are going to get the scoop on this. This is in fact what our summer forecast is showing. And for southern Manitoba uh, and central Manitoba, it's warmer than normal is what what our call is. And uh, and so boy, if you like that kind of warm weather, there's going to be lots of it. 
Yeah, and there will be so many that do like it, but then they have to ask the question for gardeners, people with flowers, and of course for our producers. It's so dry, David. We talked to you just a few weeks ago about the unprecedented uh, dryness and, and drought going across much of southern Manitoba. Do we have any good news on that front? Because it, there's not a lot of moisture, period, out there. No, Lorraine, you're right. And, you know, we did get that really nice uh, dose of rain there about mid-month, but it was still in Winnipeg. And if you look at the whole month of May, it was still below about 10% less than normal. And, you know, Winnipeg goes wet, but there were other parts like Steinbeck and Portage and Brandon that had, you know, precipitation for the month that was maybe a third or 40%. So that what's happened about a year and a half ago has continued. And, of course, when we we have that, the prospect of being warmer, uh, you need more precipitation than, uh, than, than normal. And, uh, and you know, the, the problem is our models are not that good at getting precipitation over uh, a season ahead. I mean, it's hard to, storms aren't even born yet. Uh, we just know we need more precipitation to make up the deficit. And with warmer temperatures, you're really going to need more, uh, more warm conditions. There's a hint that it's drier than normal, but it's, um, it, it really is hard to say. It tends to be more uh, kind of thunderstorm kind of rain, which can rain in your backyard but not your front yard, so it doesn't often bring that million-dollar rain that you're uh, you're hoping. And the other thing, guys, that that really uh, sort of kind of you guys actually uh, threw my uh, or gave me a heads up about the winds. You know, I mean, we don't often track the winds, and you know, we say, well, it's been a warmer than normal month or a colder than normal or snowier or whatever. We don't often talk about winds, and you guys said. To me, uh, hey, has this been a, a windier month? And, and absolutely right. Your listeners are right on. They're they're reporting these winds. And I looked at the winds in in, uh, in Winnipeg, for example, in May, and um, we we saw t- uh, wind speeds like gale force winds. This would be above 62 kilometers per hour. They occurred on four days. You normally would have to go three years to get one of those days in May. So it just shows you how windy. And there was only three days where the winds were not strong. And, of course, what that does is it dries things out even more. I mean, any bead, uh, beads of moisture that are in the ground will just be sucked up by those, those dry winds. So it really was a double whammy. It was drier than normal. It was warmer than normal and, and, and also uh, windier. So uh, uh, we need some moisture relief, but hey, it doesn't seem to be anything in the horizon. I see a couple of days this week where we have 30%. I don't even carry an umbrella for 30%. What you want is that kind of slow motion, gentle rain, but uh, doesn't seem to be in the cards. It's just uh, a lot of uh, beer drinking, muscle shirt and tank top and, and hardly hockey weather, guys. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? We're still we're still talking hockey weather. You're not, David, so I don't want to... Well, hey, you guys, I don't like the Leafs. I like, I like Winnipeg. I mean, they're my favorite team. I'm not saying that because I'm, I'm talking to you guys. I mean, I am a Jets fan and I always have been. Well, well, there we go. Revelations. And uh, really quick, uh, what is the threshold for umbrella carrying for you? What percentage of precipitation? <laughs> you know, guys, it's 60%. Now, we never say 50% because that's like flipping a coin. So anything above 50, so 60, 70, hey, then I care, I pack an umbrella and uh, I might even change a social engagement based on that. But anything below, uh, 40% below, I'll just say, hey, I can run in between those drops. It's not going to be a problem for me. Dave Phillips, Senior Climatologist with Environment Canada, joining us live on The Start. Mr. Phillips, thank you for your time as always, sir. 
You're so welcome, guys. Bye-bye now. <laughs> Beer drinking, muscle shirt wearing. <laughs> so many things to learn there. Great beer another, drinking. There's another T-shirt, you guys. Write that one down. Yeah. Oh, Not yes. Even pack an umbrella for 40%. <laughs> Shove it 40%. Normally in this segment, we share some of your text messages uh, from 204-780-6868. We're asking you to tell us about the things you like to do alone for your chance to win a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza. But I want to touch on a text message that was sent by one Greg Mackling just 30 seconds ago. Because, Greg, you just made uh, uh, such a, uh, a true point that restaurants and bars are going to lose millions of dollars over the next week uh, because of the hot temperatures and the playoffs. Can you imagine the sight and sound at, I was listening to the Boston pizza commercial and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, Boston pizza and all the different places that have sports bars and, and cater to sports fans. And there, you know, dozens of TVs and the patios and the, oh, the congregations and the, the desire to be together during playoffs and to celebrate uh, it w- it's got to be so difficult just to imagine all the dollars that won't be walking through your door as a restaurant owner, operator, bar oper- operator, owner. Yikes. Yeah, it- it's got to be millions of dollars in the industry uh, over the next week or so. And, you know, and what happens if the Jets or shall I say what happens when the Jets make it to the third round? Are we going to be anywhere closer to being able to congregate, never mind inside Bell MTS place on patios or a street party, anything like that. I mean, dare we even start thinking about that? I, I guess the answer is, is probably a no. Well, the thing about it is I was driving uh, Pemina the other day and I thought, what's missing from the scenario? And like normally the signs on, on Pemina during playoff time, you have go jets go everywhere. And of course, there's all sorts of businesses that are still open to at least reduce capacities. But the restaurants are really a big part of galvanizing that fan support, the restaurants, the bars. And it's not that I don't think any of them aren't into the playoffs as usual, but the sign might say, go Jets, go stop in here for a pitcher, a beer and a pizza or whatever. And yes, they can still put that shout out to the team and to the fans. But man, you're in playoffs right now. You can't open to customers and it's 30 plus degrees for the rest of the week. I mean, at least if it was raining. You could at least say, well, we wouldn't be that busy on our patio anyway. But man, that I when you texted that, I thought, great point. I mean, here we are thinking about all the things we love to do in these kinds of temperatures. And sure, you can hit a beach or whatever, but is there anything better than a hot summer day patio beer, Brett? No, no. I, or or uh, like I'm thinking of maybe having a like a daiquiri or something oh. on a patio. Uh, but I but as it as it currently stands, I can't even as someone who lives alone, I can't even go for a walk with somebody under the health order. So, yeah, never mind sitting on a patio. <sighs> Hopefully we and can I get, get through this he- soon. That's right. And here we are, and we know that there's a dire situation in our hospitals. We all understand that. That goes without saying. But you do have to feel for people who can't go for their walk or their daiquiri bread or for the restaurants who are struggling right now. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we played the clip earlier from Chris Rock. And those are the choices you got in life, man. You could be married and bored or single and lonely. Ain't no happiness nowhere. Yeah. Now, that's obviously tongue-in-cheek. But, uh, yeah, single and lonely, 
that's kind of the boat that I'm in right now. I am a single man. I live alone, and therefore I do a lot of just kind of staring at the <laughs> staring at the wall, <laughs> wondering what am I going to do for the next uh, for like on a weekend over the winter when there was nothing to do. Uh, that was interesting, Loren. Yeah, and you're not alone. I mean, I went looking for some numbers this morning, and 135,000 Manitobans live alone, but many more are also single and trying to navigate their way through maybe dating or just entertaining themselves in this pandemic. And so we want to bring on Jessica O'Reilly, a sex and relationship expert, to kind of walk us through what's changed and maybe the dating world will be forever changed in this pandemic. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning. So Manitoba is under some pretty tough restrictions right now. You know, we're not allowed to hang out with anyone outside our household. There's no patios open. Restaurants aren't open to in-room dining. So we're in some pretty thick restrictions, but we've been in and out of this like much of Canada for a good part of, better part of a year and a half now. What's the change for dating in this world? What's new? Is it virtual? Yes, absolutely. More and more people are not only moving their meetings online, you know, it used to be that people would go online to meet someone and then meet up in person. Now, the relationship is actually blossoming and even being sustained online. And we're seeing this reflected in the dating apps. So we see dating apps adding features that allow you to actually go on virtual dates. So we see, for example, Plenty of Fish and some of the other brands uh, offer different Uh, opportunities. So they have like quizzes and they have different events that people can attend together. They have live feed features, live video where you can go live. So most people are familiar with, you know, going live on Instagram or going live on Facebook. You can actually do this in apps. So what we're seeing with these dating apps is that they're not just about dating. They're also about socializing. Jess, uh, obviously so many things are going to change coming out of this. I saw a story yesterday with regard to people having hesitancy not about vaccines but about getting back out into the real world leaving home and and reintegrating themselves into society as things start to open up and in other places we don't have that as you know benefit in manitoba right now but it's on the horizon so uh, amongst uh all that hesitancy and that maybe that that consternation are we also going to see some of the questions that we ask one another before we start dating change like have you been vaccinated Yes, absolutely. And we're already seeing this again in app. They are offering badges that you can post if you have been vaccinated. And some people are putting it right in their right in their profile, right on that kind of first page or the first line. Some even putting it, changing their usernames. Uh, so absolutely. And this is interesting that we're going to be talking about safety and health issues, you know, coming from a sexuality perspective, I hope that this carries over into discussions around safer sex. Uh, As a relationship educator, I hope that this translates into conversations around emotional safety and what feels good for you and what you're comfortable with. I think a lot of us kind of went with the flow before we did things because we were supposed to do them. Perhaps we dated in ways that weren't our first choice, but it seemed to be what everybody else was doing, which, you know, really representative of what we call pluralistic ignorance. And so we'd go and do things that didn't work for us. But now I think more people are going to speak up and say, actually, this is what I'd rather, or I'm comfortable with this amount of time together, or I'd prefer to meet outside. Or one thing I'm hearing uh, from many people is that as they transition back into dating, they're going to be doing it in groups. So if they're already, you know, probably the next step is that we'll be allowed to meet up in the park with friends. Hopefully the weather cooperates over the next couple of months. 
for us here in Canada. Uh, but many people, you know, meet with friends in a park uh, at a distance and they might just invite a date along. And this is actually a great thing because the way your friends feel about a potential partner is can be correlated with how the relationship unfolds. Jess, do you suspect that once, you know, we're all sort of vaccinated, vaccinated and fully reopened, that there there could be a potential, I don't know, how shall we say, a feeding frenzy for single people? It's interesting. Some people are predicting that. I actually think people are going to proceed with even more caution. I think what what I'm hearing from daters is that they're not quite ready for this transition yet. So more than we've realized, we have adapted to this new normal. So it's going to be a transition back to the old-ish normal or whatever the new normal, (laughs) new, new normal is. So I think some people are going to put it on hold uh, and maybe not dive right back in. Okay, and uh, yeah, because I like that. I I know somebody who <laughs> works in the healthcare system, who uh, I guess normally works in sexually transmitted infections, and has been pulled off of that for now for COVID stuff. But she suspects that once she gets back to it, she she joked that business is going to be booming. Well, that that very well may be the case. It's hard to predict what people are going to do. Uh, I'm hoping that from an STI perspective, as I said, we've become so accustomed to talking about safety precautions, whether that's masks or staying masks or staying six feet apart or meeting outside. Now we're talking. We've been talking about testing and vaccines. I think I'm really, really hopeful. Just trying to be an optimist here that that's going to translate into talking about testing around STIs, talking about condoms, talking about all these other things. So hopefully, for your friends. Um, it will be mean that more people are testing, but perhaps we'll see, I, I don't know, I, maybe we'll see a decline in some of the positive rates. We'll have to see. Is this going to forever just change relationships, period, Jessica? I mean, there's those who are looking to get back out in the dating world, and then there's just couples who have spent a lot of time maybe in homes together or not a lot of <laughs> date nights to have, right? And we need to re-examine many of our relationships potentially out of this. Yes, we've seen a huge reimagining of relationships with people spending so much time together, being one another's sole source of support, which is something that, you know, we don't generally recommend that you just have this one source of support. But government mandates in many cases have have forced us into this situation. So we've seen people come out of it feeling closer than ever to their partners, especially with, you know, evidence of turbo relationships, people perhaps committing more quickly than they might have uh, 18 months ago. We've also seen couples who are really struggling because these issues that have been festering for years can no longer be swept beneath the rug because you really are in each other's faces 24-7. It's why I see uh, so many couples therapists are have waiting lists. They're, they're very, very full because people are realizing that they actually need to work on their relationship. And that's a very good thing that people are seeking support and making it a priority. Jess O'Reilly, sex and relationship expert. You can follow her on social media at Sex with Dr. Jess. Dr. Jess, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Great chatting with you. And we'll have much more on this subject throughout the day on 680 CJOB. And if you are single, if you live alone, text us how it's been for you. 204 780 6868. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, text message from Gordo, who says, Could you give a shout-out to my mom, Dorothy Duran, who turns 98 today? 
She is pretty amazing for her age. She had me at 65, by the way, Gordo says. So we drove through Transcona and grabbed a few of their national birds for the day and dropped them on her lawn. Of course, the pink flamingo. (laughs) This picture is great, just covered in flamingos. So, Gordo, thank you for this text. It makes me happy to see uh, that tradition continue. On a different note, Greg Mackling at 837 we have to have a conversation that will most certainly not be happy, but it is an important conversation. Yeah, it's uh, with our good friend David Robertson. We're going to talk about the discovery of those 215 children at the residential school, their remains and the ramifications of such, the shockwaves felt across the country. Uh, David Robertson is the author of so many books, and uh, they have Indigenous stories uh, are a common theme, including a book that he wrote 10 years ago about residential schools. So we'll visit with David and get his views on changing the name of uh, Bishop Grandin Boulevard and who should we name it after instead or which way should we go with that? So uh, very timely and uh, I suspect an emotional conversation to take place about a half hour from now. Right now we want to have a conversation about the world's number two ranked women's tennis player. She's pulled out of one of the four major tennis tournaments on the planet. Naomi Osaka is her name, and she withdrew from the French Open yesterday following a $15,000 fine for not speaking with the media over the weekend. In fact, she was threatened with basically being kicked out of the tournament if she wouldn't agree to speak to the media. Well, on Twitter yesterday, she said that she would be taking a break from competition a dramatic turn of events for a four-time Grand Slam champion who said she experiences, quote, huge waves of anxiety, end quote, before speaking to the media and revealed she has, quote, suffered long bouts of depression. The lengthy post uh, also says that uh, she has been dealing with depression since the 2018 U.S. Open, which she won by beating Serena Williams in a final filled with controversy. Quote, I would never trivialize mental health or use the term lightly, Loren. So following this move by Osaka, she's received messages of support from Martina Navratilova, of course, an 18-time Grand Slam champion, and two-time NBA MVP Steph Curry has also weighed in. Right now, we want to hear from sports psychologist Adrian Leslie Tugood. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You know, when this story first appeared, I was trying to follow the ball, uh, no pun intended, on where this was going. And it made me realize just we really should be paying attention to this because what she's saying, it's not just about the sport. It's about how she's feeling in terms of what's been created around the sport. So why should Canadians be paying attention to what Osaka has said and done? Uh, It's not just Osaka, actually. It's all athletes. And what's been interesting is right now, um, you know, with COVID-19, we're realizing that there's human beings behind their performance. It's something I've been absolutely passionate about. If you looked at um, what Martina Navratilova has said on social media, she spoke about the importance of athletes taking care of their mental well-being in the same way that they take care of their physical well-being. Um, We could talk for so long about this. um, And it's so incredibly important. The one thing that's unbelievable about this is she's probably going to start another conversation because of her athletic prowess and how talented 
talented she is. Um, but for a long time, we've known that athletes have mental health and, and mental well-being issues as well. Um, it's not a good or a bad thing. It's the way we're born. You mentioned the U.S. Open and one of the series of mental health, they call it the stress diathesis model of mental illness. You know, we all have some sort of genetic predisposition or vulnerability and sometimes things happen in our life that kind of activate it and that was you know when you read what she says about being introverted and she's really someone who loves to play the game and doesn't necessarily want to be in the spotlight all the time that takes a ton of energy for her Um, then if you look at the black lives matter movement and she's a racialized athlete and now she's talking to mainly white press all the time you know there's a lot a lot of things happening that probably have made it more difficult for her to manage her mental well-being. Um, and then we're in a culture, sports a microcosm for the larger society. It's not just sport, uh, but she's in a culture where you can't really talk about that stuff and you have to act like it's not bothering you. I can talk to you about so many examples of people that we absolutely admire um, that have behind the scenes mental health challenges and issues. Um, and it's not a big deal. It's the fact that we're all human beings. And that, that's what makes sports so unbelievable to watch is because we know it's a human being that's doing it. Um, and so we should care because we want to see unbelievable performance. And we know that when an athlete is physically and mentally well, they're going to do unbelievable things. So, um, the last thing I'll say, and then you're like, my goodness gracious, this lady talks. But, uh, the last thing I'll say is like, you can look at at it all over the place, right? Sport is a failure field environment. Look at the Maple Leafs goalie Campbell last night. Look at his Twitter comment about letting in a bad goal during game Mm -hmm. seven. It was a bad goal. You know, he knows it was a bad goal and he did it. And if he wants to be mentally well, he has to own that. He has to feel the emotions of that, and he has to get to the other side of it. We run into problems when we don't allow ourselves to own the emotions associated with it. So um, good for him for being honest with himself about it. Um, and now, you know what? He's going to be in a dark place for a while. And a lot of our athletes, you know, if we want to see them be great, they have to go to pretty dark places when it's tough. And that's just part of the sport. You know, one of the messages in Osaka's Twitter post, Adrian, uh, that that really sort of hit me. I never wanted to be a distraction, and I accept that mm-hmm. my timing was not ideal, and my message could have been clearer. And she also goes on to say, you know, now everyone can get back to focusing on tennis going on in Paris. That last part, you know, it just breaks my heart, that qualification, the idea she has to apologize for being a distraction If she'd broken her ankle on the weekend, she wouldn't be apologizing for that. Exactly. It's so unbelievable. There's so much we could talk about. Like Chantal Van Landigan is an Olympic medalist for uh, Rio de Janeiro. She's um, someone that, um, you know, I work with and is doing her PhD in clinical psychology right now. Her master's research, she did on a concept called alexithymia. And alexithymia is thought to underline a ton of mental health issues, depression, anxiety, substance use, etc. And you know what alexithymia is? The core characteristic of it is that you have a dysfunction in your emotional awareness and your ability to understand and express your emotion to other people. Now, if you look at sport, right, you're trying to get people to be alexithymic, and yet it's known to underline mental health issues so you know we have to get better at allowing athletes to be human and talking about but again not just uh, not just sport look at bell let's talk day that's a canadian athlete who started that whole process of getting us to talk about mental health and wellness so to me this is just the next level of really living bell let's talk day as opposed to just having one day um, yeah, because indeed uh, mental health is more than a hashtag so uh sports psychologist mm-hmm. adrian leslie too good we we gotta let you go but thank you so much for joining okay. us we appreciate Thanks. the time okay bye Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And right now we want to ask you the question of the day, which is brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first, you'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. 
is a time for a name change for Bishop Grandin Boulevard and Bishop Grandin Greenway. Yes or no? Cast your vote at cjob.com. We'll put that out on Twitter as well at 680CJOB. And this ties into the horrific discovery of 215 Indigenous children's remains at a former residential school in British Columbia, which has sparked mourning and is sending shockwaves across the country. And it's also having so many people say, well, what do we do with this information? Where do we take this? Where should we go next? How do we learn more, learn better, talk to our kids about this? And and what do we do, Greg, to reconcile this part of Canada's history? Just so many things to be done following this discovery. Yeah, our good friend, author David Robertson joins us now. Good morning, David. David, David, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Hey, sorry, David. Uh, I'm speaking in hushed tones here. Uh, Probably not the best thing on radio. Uh, We shared a couple of uh, text messages yesterday about whether or not you'd be willing to speak with us this morning and whether you were, you know, emotionally uh, in that place where you could speak publicly about it. Uh, And, you know, I just want to know, how are you managing all this and and how are you doing? Well, thanks for asking. I mean, it's been obviously it's been a hard few days um you know my grandmother was a residential school survivor um i've had the honor of knowing um and working with uh, many survivors uh, and you know people whose family who are whose family members did not survive and you know it's been a it's been a hard few days um but you know i think at the same time um in in no in in knowing uh, what has happened and in having it, um, you know, w- widely shared uh, as it has been, um, I think I hope that it it, it creates uh, a motivation to mobilize people and to work towards um, to work towards change. Um, you know, I think that um, this is this is finally a time where people realize. Um, that this was a genocidal system. And um, if we recognize that truth, then we can move forward in a better way, um, as, as painful as it is. Why is it so important, David, that the use, and it, and it should be used, it should be said, genocide, and yet there still, still seems to be a real sticking point with that term for some people. Why, why is it important that we now move forward with that word applying to our, the residential school system? Uh, because it's the truth, you know. I think that um, if we if we call it anything else, we are not honoring the children who survived the school system and the children who did not survive. Um, you know, we we have to we have to if we're going to move forward in a good way, if we're going to find ways to to work through this and heal, um, we also we have to accept the system for what it was. Um, we have to learn about it. We have to become articulate in it. We have to understand that we all have a role because it's not Indigenous history, it's Canadian history. It's a part of um, what shaped this country. And because of that, uh, we have to acknowledge what it, what it was, what it is. And in doing so, um, I feel like we're better positioned to, to really work through this together um, and to really come together to find solutions as a community, as a larger community. Um, and that's what it's going to take um, because... This um, system has had long, long-reaching effects, and it will continue to do so. The last school closed down in 1996. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad used to say that 
uh, trauma, uh, you know, healing takes as long as trauma lasted for. So, you know, the, the, the school system opened in the, you know, within in the 19th century. It's going to take a long time. But if we don't start now, um, this is something that we're going to be doing for even longer. And, um, and so we definitely need to accept the system for what it was in books help. Um, there's no, there's no excuse right now not to know the history. Um, it's there for us. We just have to have the will to learn. David, you tweeted in recent days, do more than tweet about the news that has come to light in this country. What's your role in working towards reconciliation? What, why, what prompted you to, to speak on that, to, to, to tell people, do more than just tweet? Well, I was listening to an elder this morning, and you know, one of the things that I heard was that we can we read we can read books we can listen which we should um, we can do all those things we can tweet you know we can we can um, share posts on Instagram but at some point we need action you know and um, and figuring out what role you know we play in this pathway towards reconciliation is it, a very individual and intimate thing to decide, you know, what, what, what we can do, what you can do on a personal level. Um, and, and then what we can do on a, in a, on a community level. And so I don't know the answer to that. I think it's something that I, I think it's better if people just take some time for reflection and to consider what they can do. Um, you know, for, for my part, um, you know, I, I think that I have a sort of, sort of a platform where I can, um, try to do what I can to raise awareness and to advocate and to um, educate. And I feel like that's my role. Um, and so I just hope that everybody is able to take the time to figure out what their role might be, what they can do, um, and to take action. You know, I think that if we sit back and let this history slide by um, in, in several days as though it's part of a news cycle, um, we're not going to get anywhere. David, we've been speaking to you for years now about the value of storytelling, the value of story sharing. And I think typically when we've approached that, and maybe not always, but for the most part, it's it's been that celebratory acknowledgement of story sharing and storytelling about learning about who you are as an individual, where you come from, or maybe an overall sense of where you fit in the world. But the storytelling and the story sharing we're talking about today could be, could be, will be very deep and, and dark and could go places that Canadians for whatever reason, you know, haven't investigated over the past or school system didn't do a very good job in the, in the past of making it part of our history. So talk about the, the book, Sugar Falls, a residential school story. You released that 10 years ago and the reaction to that book and the, and, and the gift that it is to you and those who read it. Well, I, you know, first I would just say that there are um, so many resources being written right now by Indigenous creators who have lived experiences in their families um, and are writing from a place of truth. So I, I guess that First, I just don't want to make it about me. There's lots of books out there, um, but Trigger Falls is one of them, and um, it's, it was one of the first graphic novels that was written about residential schools uh, ten years ago. 
along with Seven Generations and, and some other work for the Health, Healthy Aboriginal Network. Um, and it's a story that educates through the comic form, um, which is a way in which we can engage uh, youth uh, and help them to retain more information um, and to generate empathy. Um, it's a story that talks about Betty Ross, and uh, who is an elder uh, who still lives here in Winnipeg, who um, went to Crossleg Residential School and endured horrific abuses. Um, and um, after those that experience, was able to reclaim her culture, reclaim her language because of the teachings that her father gave her and her ability to um, hold on to those teachings to help her through. Um, she was um, lucky enough to survive her experience, but still went through trauma that took her decades to heal from. Um, and so I think it's just one resource out of many that people can um, to, to, to read, um, to support, um, and to, to prepare themselves to have those hard conversations. You know, like even last night, my, my wife took the kids to the um, legislature to see all the shoes that have been left on the steps. Um, and, you know, um, the kids had questions. And we have to be prepared to answer those questions. So we can't just expect our, only our kids to learn uh, because it is being taught in schools now. We also have to learn um, because um, our kids need to know and we need to find the appropriate way to talk to them at the appropriate ages. Um, and so books, books are a big help uh, in, that, in, that, uh, in that way. Yeah, we've been talking about the discovery of the remains of 215 kids at the residential school, former residential school out in B.C., and that's not only generated all sorts of talk and outrage and sadness right across this country, it's also had people talking about education and educating ourselves and educating our kids. And and David, and part of that is about the streets and the schools and the subway systems and the transit lines that we might have named after people from our past, including Bishop Vital Justin Grandin, who uh, is basically considered one of the architects of residential schools. What are your thoughts on, on having that street, uh, the, the whole suburb of St. Vital, all the rest named in part after this man? Well, I think there comes a time when you have to you know, revisit the decisions that you've made in the past, um, who, that we've, who we've chosen to remember and honour, and in the, within the context of history, um, with knowledge, um, recons- reconsider and 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 change. Um, you know, I think that a question that I've asked um, is that is you know who who we, who do we want to honor and why? You know, and um, Bishop Grandin um, was was one of the architects of the residential school system. Um, mm-hmm. He was personally responsible, I think, for the establishment of at least three of them. And um, and as we know, uh, with with the news that has come to light and what Indigenous people have known for a long time is that, you know, if this is a system of genocide and and people have been responsible for that system, why are we why are we immortalizing them? Why are we honoring them? And, you know, a question that I hear often is that, well, it's there to educate. You know, it's, we're, we're just we're just trying to educate people with them. That's not what a statue is for. That's not what naming a street after somebody is for. That's for honoring somebody. You can you can educate somebody um, about Bishop Grandin, for example, or Johnny McDonald in an, in a textbook. Um, 
And so I think we need to reconsider um, the naming of schools, the naming of streets, uh, the erecting of statues for people who have done um, horrific things. Um, you know, and, th- and in this case, created a system which has led to the deaths of thousands of children. Um, and, you know, these, these, these children in, in uh, British Columbia, um, these 250 children, 215 children, um, there'll be more. And, um, you know, there are other there are other mass graves in, the, in this country and they'll be they'll be discovered. And this question will keep coming up. And I think we need to be proactive um, and make better choices. And um, we just have to have the will to do it. And I will say that, you know, I think Mayor Bowman has had a difficult job um, and I think he's he's doing a, he's doing pretty good um, in the last couple of days with how he's been handling this. Um, I know that he's listened, and um, and so I, I respect him for that. And David, before we let you go, we only have about 90 seconds, but one of the books that you've written, one of the many books, uh, we spoke to you about it back in February for I Love to Read Month, and it was a children's book called When We Were Alone. How can that help parents wanting to teach their young kids about the experience? Yeah, I mean, When We Were Alone was really one of the first picture books um, for early early uh, readers about residential schools. And what it does is, is it enables parents and teachers to have, you know, rudimentary but important conversations about the residential school system in ways that won't traumatize them and won't scare them, um, but that will help to lay a foundation so that they can um, build from there and learn more as they get older. Um, so I think it's an important text. And it's one of now several picture books that have been written about residential schools that um, I think every kid should read and every parent should should buy and read to their kids. Every teacher should have in their classroom. Um, and, um, and again, you know, books to me, books are one of the most important ways that we're going to get through this because stories are truth and, um, and we need to be reading these stories. David Robertson joining us live on 680 CJOB. David, thank you so much. Always a pleasure, sir. We very much appreciate your insight. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, you three are good people, and uh, I really appreciate you, uh, you having me on this morning. And if you'd like to learn more about his book, When We Were Alone, we've linked the story from February, the I Love to Read Month story, uh, where David was featured and actually uh, is on camera reading some of the book. Go to our 680CJOB Instagram. You will find that link in our story. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb coming up in our next half hour. We are going to revisit a conversation that we started yesterday. It was supposed to be an interview yesterday, but I bungled up our scheduling. So we're going to do it today. Allergies. Are your allergies bad? Mine have been killing me. I've been hopped up on so many antihistamines for the last couple of weeks. So we will do that at 9.35 because we had a conversation earlier about the weather with David Phillips. And apparently the weather pattern is contributing to allergy problems. So we'll learn what the deal is there. In our next segment, we have a $20 gift card for Santa Lucia Pizza to give away. And you can still get in on this. What are the things that you like to do alone? And Adele says... And I, I like uh, Adele's honesty here. Adele says, I don't know if you can put this on air or not because it might be inappropriate. But to be honest, I'm single and I like to drink alone. Bars what? aren't open and what? it's cheaper and I can drink what I want with nobody complaining. L-O-L. So, Adele, thank you for that. I appreciate it. And you the know text. what? You don't get that close talk 
you know, that eventually emerges after a, a few bevies and a bar oh, yeah. or lounge, Brett, where you're like, not only are you invading my space, but I can l- literally taste what you had <laughs> for lunch. And I feel like you are too close and I can see your spit. And not that I haven't been there. Not a judgment. Yes, it is. It is a judgment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, we've all been there. So 10 minutes, 204-780-6868, your last chance to get in on that contest. And the reason why we're talking about it, Greg, is because one of the things that we're focusing on as a radio station today is what it's like to be single, what it's like to be living alone during the pandemic. And it's been sort of a a back-and-forth joke that we've had throughout this pandemic, Greg, where uh, I'll I'll make the joke about being alone, and then you'll say, "Yeah, but you can go golfing or do whatever you want when you want." Uh, give me what with whatever is available, depending on the restrictions. And uh, and but I I am envious of the fact that you have people around you constantly. Yep, <laughs> you are. <laughs> You know, and and we joke about the the fact that kids ruin everything, and and all the all the things that I'll I'll say about my kids. But I love my kids a ton, and I can't imagine having to go through this without anybody under the same roof to have to uh, console, to to commiserate with, and to just generally have uh, conversations. But I do miss my ability to just a simple thing. Like right now with the playoffs, um, my schedule as yours is Brett, yours is Loren, and so many of our listeners is a little bit awkward, but when it works, there's nothing better than getting together for a couple of beers and wings and, and going to a bar, going to a lounge or going to the game or going to Bell MTS place to watch the Jets, even when they're playing on the road. That's how I watched game seven against Nashville back in 2018. So I'm missing all those aspects of just maybe getting away from the everyday routine of family life. Those outlets are gone right now. And they've been really a non-factor for basically since the beginning of the pandemic. I know last summer we had a little bit of a break, Loren, with regard to that stuff. But for the most part, it's been 16 months lockdown with the family and spending almost exclusively any time you have with your family. And so that's got its pressures. And that has uh, also, I think uh, Dr. Jess touched on that a little bit when we spoke with her in 745 about relationships. There's going to be a reevaluation, I think, of some couple relationships, of family relationships about how we interact and how we share our feelings uh, moving forward, because this has not been easy on those relationships either. No, uh, Dr. Jess O'Reilly, um, who is a sex relationship expert and a relationship expert, or a bit of both, whatever, however it fits into the relationship, talked about how her couple counseling friends are seeing a real increase in calls from people who are in couples. And then when it comes, Brett, to those who aren't in couples, I thought it was really neat, all the different things that might be a permanent change in this pandemic when it comes to just meeting people and dating. She talked about virtual dating and the idea that, well, maybe you don't go for a coffee for that first date like normal. You just meet up on Zoom or what have you and see if there's anything there. And then she added about the, you know, online dating. There's people who are, there's rooms at different apps to already add whether or not you've been vaccinated because that is going to be part of it. And then the whole idea of like the social awkwardness. And the, we talked, I think, a few months ago, Brad, about how we can't small talk 
Mm-hmm. You know, like we're struggling with just small talk and that very much is the beginning of any relationship, whether it be, uh, for dating, whether it be for sex, whether it be just to make a friendship. Hey, how's it going? How's the weather? And now we all kind of stare at each other like, are you smiling? You got a mask on. Are you looking at me? Are you making eye contact? <laughs> you want to just pretend we didn't see each other? Got it. Like it's all very different. Some of the changes that she suggested could become part of the dating scene. Uh, I'm sunk if that's the case because I thought it was like? I thought it was going to be the reverse. I thought that once we get vaccinated and things reopen, uh, I suggested there could be a feeding frenzy. I, th- I thought people would be anxious to get out and meet new people. But if there's this possibility that I now have to do a virtual date to sort of get through the door, so to speak, then forget it. I'm out because I can't. I have no more patience for virtual anything. The only virtual video chats I sign into are the ones that I am mandated to because I want to continue to get a paycheck. I don't want to do a virtual date. I want to meet somebody for real. Like, yeah, I'll text this person first or I'll, and we can have a phone chat. But if, if I have to do like a... <laughs> Like a, it's gonna phone interview. Yeah, it's gonna if well, a, a video chat's gonna feel like a job interview, and I don't want that. You know that. what? I I was thinking the other day. I did a video chat. I was just working on a story and and talking to some folks about their experiences, and it was via video. And I thought, well, we're not making eye contact. Like you're look when I look down at the screen, you're looking at me, but I'm now not looking at you no. properly. Like you're missing out on all those good cues that would help you pick up on whether or not um, you were connecting. And I mean, just in a conversation connecting, let alone like trying to see like, is there a spark here? Do they have all the things that I'm looking for that would at least lend to a second date? So I don't, I don't know if I could handle the first, I'd be sunk too. I mean, I'm in Batman pajamas and that's the way it's sticking around at this home. So sorry. Mm. Well, you know, we talk about nonverbal communication, right? 40, 80%. Mm -hmm of uh, communication is nonverbal. So we're missing out, like you say, Loren, on all those cues on the the actual chemistry that might be created by being in the same room with somebody. And whether you're dating a business situation or somewhere in between, there is that genuine chemistry that comes from interacting with someone in person. And uh, I just want to make sure Brett, that you are on the phone with your lawyer today because (laughs) I have been searching for the terminology vaccinated (laughs) online. It came out of your mouth. It it was one of those slips, but you know what? It might be one of the best slip ups on this program in years. (laughs) Vaccinated, according to one of our, our eagle eared listeners said vaccinated. When two vaccinated singles get together, (laughs) I think you've coined a phrase. This might become part of the, uh, of the lexicon of the English language moving forward. You need to get downstairs. Taylor McCaffrey is in the building. You get a trademark lawyer today, TM. or I'm going to do it. That's a great yeah. idea. I'm vaccinated. TM. And I, you know what? As someone who has been living alone since this thing started, uh, I'm okay with being single for now, but I am very much looking forward to vaccinating season. So <laughs> let's get on with this already. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, 204-780-6868 is the number we've been asking you to text for a Santa Lucia pizza gift card. Based on the things you like to do alone, what do you like to do alone? And Kevin, the garbage man, one of our runners up here, this is an interesting one. Kevin says, what I like to do alone is work. 
Most of my life, I've had a job where I get to work by myself with little or no supervision, make most of my daily decisions and deal with most issues myself. I stop when I want to take a break. Most of the day is up to me, and I decide how it goes, and I love it. And Kevin, when you put it that way, that sounds kind of cool. What do you think, Greg? No question. I like that a lot. You know, uh, sometimes in your job, you lament the fact when you don't get recognition from the boss or a pat on the back from your supervisor. And I've always been of the exact opposite mentality. The less I have to, as much as I might like my boss or my supervisor, as much as I like them, the less I have to deal with them, the better. That's a sign that things are going really well or they're going really bad and they don't care anyway. So, yes, I, I like Kevin's notion and I, I'm with him 100% on that one. I like that. Loren, you also spotted a text on rocks. Well, I only, this stood out to me because on the farm, this was the worst job. It was a job to go out to the field and pick rocks. But this listener texted to say, I love to pick rocks and go to gravel pits to pick. Even on the farm, found it very peaceful, always thinking what, can I create? So I'm curious if they're picking rocks to then turn them into something or just while they're picking them and throwing them. And I, like I, but I, but yeah, sure. I, I can, I can get on board with that as long as it's not a chore. And our winning text uh, from Gary, Greg painted a really nice picture, which is why we went for it for the win. A hundred percent. I really enjoy my early morning bike rides along with my dog Pepper. It is always a special time of day in the spring and summer with the morning light. It is just so beautiful as the sun rises in the east with the beautiful colors that we photographers enjoy so much. In the winter, there's something special about the air. Even at minus 30, there is just this wonderful feeling that you're out and alone with nature. It's a special time and I enjoy the solitude. What an absolutely outstanding sales pitch for hashtag alone. Perfect. Way to go, Gary. You win the $20 gift card, Santa Lucia Pizza. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K. WPG. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.